Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're discussing the dirty truth about homeownership. Dirty Truth. The did you ever watch uh, Clint Eastwood? Was it uh, Dirty Harry? That's the that's what I'm thinking. Of. I never saw it. No, but I like some like Clint Eastwood. Classic. The Unforgiven. 80s. I think that was my favorite of his. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're talking about the dirty truth of homeownership, and it makes me think that we're going to uncover some sort of scandal or something <laughs> like that. There, there is no expose that we're making public here to all of our listeners, but we do want to make sure that folks are entering homeownership with their eyes open, uh, that you're thinking through all of the different factors, all the different ways that it's going to cost you. And mainly because I don't think there's, there's just not a lot of folks doing this. There aren't a lot of folks who are calling into question this sort of forbidden fruit, this thing that you dare not speak ill of. But in essence, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to poke the bear a little bit. Well, let's be honest. The facts on the ground have changed in the housing market significantly, Yes, in particular in the last year or two. You got that as well. And so, yeah, we're going to talk about current trends and how that impacts how you think about buying a home or kind of staying put. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Matt, before we get to that, I just wanted to give a shout out. Listener Lindy, she emailed us and she she had to give herself a pat on the back and we'll give her a pat on the back here too for scoring a discount. No, not just before she bought something, after the fact. Yeah. And I love this because... uh, She pulled pulled that Costco Uno reverse card. (laughs) Right. (laughs) She's like, hey, how about this? That's right. And so she had bought something, and I think there was like a a Mother's Day sale or something that happened right after the fact. It was something that she had not yet received. 
the the benefit of. It's like she had made the purchase and then she saw that the price had dropped and that's when she thought, oh no, what? I should have waited to have made that purchase. Yeah, but, I got robbed. Yeah. But no, if you just kindly asked and she like literally detailed her email correspondence for us in, in the email she sent us, it was super sweet. Just asking, saying, hey, see, there's a discount now. I bought before the discount, didn't realize this was coming down the pike. Can you apply this discount to my order? And the answer was, yeah, of course, we'll Retro, do that. Retroactively. Yeah, basically 175 mm-hmm. bucks back in her pocket just for asking the question. And we always uh, we talk a lot about asking for discounts and how important that can be. It's a good, good muscle to exercise uh, to save money. And, but we haven't really talked about, I guess, doing it after the fact. And I think that... Is, is not usually as strong of an argument, but in Lindy's case, it worked. And and it's it still like, what's the worst that can happen? They might it be like- never hurts to ask. Yeah, they might be like, nope, sorry. Um, but still, I think it's a good exercise. And, and sometimes people, especially on a product like that, will reconsider or they'll, yeah, give you give you some sort of discount. And in this case, you got the full, full 50% off. Heck yeah. Well, and this is a reason that we love talking about money. This is one of the reasons behind the fact that we started this podcast is because we want folks talking about their money, not just in the ways that you could earn it and invest it, but also the way that you spend it. And yeah. we want there to be a whole lot of savvy consumers out there. And Lindy and was like, I don't think I would have done this had I not been listening to you guys. I know, I know. That's the, that's <laughs> you the always part. push me in that kind of direction. That's us patting ourselves on the back. Where, <laughs> the, like this, that's exactly the kind of behavior that we want to see. The folks yeah. uh, who then feel empowered to, you know, basically be an advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. But Lindy, thank you so much for sending that win our way. And actually, it really does encourage Joel and I when we hear some of these different stories. And so if you have something, not even similar, but something, you know, in this vein where you have made a, a positive change in your life when it comes to your money, we would love to hear that. We may not, you know, we don't share them all on the show, but there's certain ones that kind of stand out and, yeah. and ones that we have to share with our listeners. For but, sure. But if you've got one of those, yes, send them our way. Well, at- how to money pod. We got another email. one today in, in, in our email inbox from a listener who was able to buy a home largely because he was like, I was prepared. I was saving That's during awesome. COVID. And, and if I hadn't have been listening to you guys and, and taking those steps, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have owned a home today. So on that note, let's talk about home ownership. Home but first, ownership. we'll mention the beer. This is called, it was a time to believe in anything. And it's an IPA by Burial. They have the most over the top beer names. And this one, Fits, <laughs> fits like a glove mm-hmm. for the barrel naming convention, but we'll give our thoughts on this one at the end of the episode. And let's talk about housing, Matt, the dirty truth let's about home ownership. It. There are a lot of things that we- I like houses. I mean, everyone does. I like <laughs> I like houses. I like the house we live in. It's kind of like what we're fighting against is the fact that everybody wants a house. Everybody likes a house. Well, and part of that There's is- There's a desire for everyone, to, yeah, for all these millennials who are entering home ownership age- to be able to get their hands on one. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with buying a house. And nope. in, in fact, I think it's going to sound like we think there's something wrong with it <laughs> during this episode because of kind of, we're actually trying to combat the predominant narrative and help make people think again. But we will try to offer a balanced perspective yeah. on on home home buying. But it just makes me think, Matt, that you know, in 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 childhood, there are all sorts of things we hear or, or adults say or parents say, and we end up kind of believing believing it as a stock belief our whole life, never really questioning the tenets of, of whether it's true or not it makes you think about swimming after eating You're supposed to wait like an oh, hour yeah. right uh, we are entering pool season for sure yes well, it is here and yeah. you're gonna hear somebody say you gotta wait at least 30 minutes yeah. or you gotta wait at least an hour <laughs> after you eat before you go swimming uh-huh. but this is one of those things I, I at some point i finally got fed up and i was like is this for real or not and it turns out the mayo clinic says you you might experience some minor cramping but in no way is it dangerous to go swimming after eating yeah so this is one of those old wives tales or whatever you call them that we've all heard growing up but it's not actually true yeah and i think the same thing can be said 
of owning a home. It's the surefire path to building wealth. That's how you get there. Home ownership. And it's this like uh, money fact lodged somewhere in the recesses of our brain that we can't shake. And, and so we have to revisit the question. Is this actually true? Is this actually a fact? And it's really a nuanced topic. And so that's why we want to dive deep today. Yeah, my favorite pool myth was that if you pee in the pool, it's going to turn red and everybody's going to see that you pee in the pool. But hey, that's not true. I pee in the pool all the time. <laughs> it never turns red. Just kidding. I don't never, actually, never don't hanging actually, out at the pool with you again. <laughs> don't actually do that because that's not hygienic. Right. We got to keep that, that pool water clean. <laughs> uh, but there are a lot of things out there that we believe to be true. Uh, but that's basically because it's just the default assumption. And the narrative exists that if you're renting, you are throwing away money. You need a you got to buy a home in order to, to build up that equity. If you want to build up some generational wealth, you better get on the path to home ownership. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to be left behind. How else are you going to get there? And actually, the, the stats show that homeowners actually do. <laughs> have more wealth than renters. Are, uh, you, are you upending our argument uh, at the very a beginning? A lot more. No, no. Uh, we're, we're, we will get to that later on. We are not against homeownership, like we said at the top here, but it's also not a slam dunk decision. And it definitely doesn't ensure that you're going to build wealth faster. It might be a good forced method of savings for uh, those out there who might have less discipline when it comes to your investing, uh, but it is not a better route to financial independence as many folks assume. All right. So I think part of the reason is, like I said, the cult of homeownership. We've kind of had this... Oh, that would have made a good secondary title. Yeah. The cult of homeownership. <laughs> That's been kind of Maybe a, we'll change it. an embedded belief for a long time <laughs> just in the minds of everyday Americans. And I think part of that comes from government, part of that comes from news media, part of that comes from financial financial pundits. But something else, I think another reason that people really think that that owning a home is like the best decision they can make from a financial perspective, it comes from just what's happened in recent memory, right? Sure. There's a lot of recency bias is what I'm trying to say. And so if you bought a house in Florida back in 2019, my guess is no one could convince you that buying a home is a dumb move mm-hmm. because home prices in Florida are up something what like 80% in that time period. And so it would take a lot of persuasion to get you to even consider that buying a home might not be a slam dunk move all the time in every situation. And so, and even if you sold your home just a year after buying it, you still did well. Like you still did okay, uh, making enough to more than cover the transaction costs of that purchase in all likelihood. And so th- this torrential housing market and ultra low rates that we had for a bunch of years, that that fueled affordability. And that's really only reinforced the notion that owning a home is the quickest path to wealth. But someone who bought a home in 06, they likely have a different feeling because they had a much different experience. They, they either, they, some a lot of folks had their home foreclosed on back then, or even if they didn't, they might have been underwater for a bunch of years and they might have a completely different perspective because they bought a home mm-hmm. at a different period in time. And so I just think that recency bias is a part of this. It's tainted our view and it's created an even stronger bias towards home ownership. But the environment we're in right now is different. And so different considerations are necessary. Yeah. A part of the assumption that it's a really good idea to buy a home is what we've experienced over the the recent decade plus. But there is just no guarantee that home values are going to continue to skyrocket. Because again, yeah, if you if you bought a home back in 2011, you're, you're sitting on a ton of equity and you probably feel like a, a real estate investing genius. <laughs> but that gravy train is slowing down. And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, April's median home value data, it came out and we saw the biggest decline in home values actually in 20 years. But the default assumption, it still holds according to a recent Gallup poll. 
Americans still believe that real estate is the best long-term investment by far. Though, actually, I mean, I think it will be interesting to see if uh, sentiments shift, if we continue to see declines in home values, or, or even if we see, if we experience a, a housing price plateau for a, per- a period of time, because yeah. I feel like that would only reinforce the, f- the fact that folks are only looking at the short term. They're not looking at historical data, and that's what we like to look at. Right, which I think that's what, how most people approach a lot of things. It makes me think of Bitcoin and how, oh, flying high at right around the Super Bowl, all those really expensive ads. It's funny, I was listening to something the other day, and I, I didn't realize the LA Lakers still play at a place called Crypto Arena. <laughs> and They still got the naming rights? I think they still have the naming rights. Wow. Uh, for how long? Who knows? But this is one of those things that uh, it's, it's again, that's recency bias, too. And it's in a lot of people saying, to the moon. Well, how, how are those people? I, I don't hear nearly the same vigor. I think there was a, a recent Bitcoin conference in Miami, Matt, and it was sparsely attended, unlike the couple years previously, mm-hmm. where it was tens of thousands of people popping bottles left and right right and so I, it's just interesting to note that that that, that taints a lot about how we view things and uh, home, home, I would I don't, I don't think it's necessarily makes a lot of sense to equate investing your money in Bitcoin or buying a house as the same because uh, home we have a lot more history yeah, when it comes yeah. to buying a home <laughs> and uh, home values do go up over time right but it's also important to mention that the market you buy in matters and buying Bitcoin in January around the Super Bowl last year that didn't pan out so well and buying a home right now isn't going to be that bad but it is important to consider yeah the timing of the purchase and 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 yeah Matt let's talk about historical data for a second because uh, if you look at the last 30 years real estate had an average growth rate of 5.3 percent but the S&P 500 had an annualized return of 9.7 percent quite a bit more yeah. and which, which of these is greater right <laughs> which one would <laughs> you prefer is, to see <laughs> this is an easy question and that reality holds if you zoom out even further and you look at an even longer period of time right and so if, if you've listened to this show for any length of time you know that we like real estate as an investment but but there's a difference between buying a home purely as an investment versus buying a home that you like right that's gonna that's gonna serve as your primary residence and we make completely different decisions when we're buying a home as an investment versus buying it as a place for us to live and to raise kids, have a family, stuff like that. The entire reason that we're having this discussion is just to combat the knee-jerk belief that buying a home is the quickest possible route to wealth. Because right. when you look at those numbers, when you extend the time frame, it certainly points in favor of stocks being a, a far better long-term investment, even though, like you said, that Gallup poll, Matt, it shows that people believe the opposite. That's right. Yeah. Well, Actually, what's really unfortunate about that Gallup poll, too, is the fact that the biggest increase as to what people thought was the best long-term investment was gold. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so, Look at the numbers historically on that, too. Yes, exactly, which by a long shot underperforms the stock market. Honestly, I think it's pretty equivalent to, to real estate over like the past 30, past 50 years. Yeah, we detailed that in a recent Had a Money newsletter, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so when we're talking about home ownership, when we talk about its impact on wealth building, it's impossible to not talk about leverage. Uh, it is a key component in the perception and the reality of home price appreciation. Not having to save up the full purchase price of a home, using financing, uh, taking on a mortgage, it allows you to buy something that you otherwise wouldn't be able to afford. And this is great news, right? 
I'm certainly happy that mortgages exist and that I didn't have to save up the amount of cash required to buy a home in cash. And I couldn't imagine renting until <laughs> being able to finally buy when you're like 50 or 60 years old. Right. Um, it would make it untenable for the vast majority of folks out there. But leverage is a, a double-edged sword. Again, ask any any home flippers, ask any real estate developers who were out over their skis back in 07, 08, as we experienced the popping of the real estate bubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The truth is on the leverage front, Matt, it gives and it taketh away, right? It's, it's smart, reasonable use of leverage can give you a boost. It can help you to afford something like we said, like 10% down, you can put 50,000 down to buy a $500,000 house. That's kind of incredible, right? That the bank trusts that you're going to pay that off over the next 15 or 30 years. But it can also be a rude awakening because if you're assuming that the value of your property is going to see a big bump in value in the short term, leverage just might come back to bite you. You're In real estate in particular, a big chunk of folks tend to assume that not having to save up much money is going to save their bacon. But if the wind isn't at your back in the real estate market, and again, the wind has mostly been at our backs over the past 12 years, using leverage too heavily can cause real harm. So if the wind, if the winds are all of a sudden shifts and it's blowing kind of at your face, it's creating, you got some headwinds going on, it could, especially for real estate investors, that use of leverage could really mess them up in a big way. That's right, yeah. So hopefully we are not completely shattering all of your hopes for home ownership, uh, but we do have some additional dirty truths to get to when it comes to home ownership, and also some of the things that you need to consider if you are gonna go ahead with that home purchase. We'll get to all of that right after this. When it comes to financial advice, you gotta trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access, Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. 
That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs. And it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, Matt, we're back. Let's keep talking smack about home ownership and, and not on purpose. It kind of makes me think no, of, we are doing it on purpose. Well, yeah, but okay, not but, not for the sake of talking smack, but just for the sake of right. wanting for wanting folks to make sure that they are that their eyes are open, that they are approaching this big purchase while at the same time considering all the the different facts and factors that they should keep in mind. Yeah, we're not trying to be contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. Exactly. Uh, It makes me think of uh, hazing, if you wanted to be in some sort of fraternity or something like that. Mm -hmm. I was never in a fraternity, never had the desire, never was cool enough, let's be honest, uh, to do that. (laughs) But if I had... There's like fraternities for for nerds. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean like uh, fraternity for chemists, Uh, you know, different brethren that you can join. I'm not smart enough to be in that Professional fraternities, I guess is what I'm saying. It's not just about partying and... But there's all like initiation yeah, ceremonies yeah, yeah. to get into that. And I don't know if they're, if, if like what they're doing really to make that happen. But if you still want to be a part of that fraternity after the, the hazing or that initiation stuff, then it shows that, okay, cool. You've passed the test. You really want to be there. And that's how I think of this episode. If you really want to buy a home, you're going to listen to all these things and you're going to be like, yeah, okay, I get it. I get all the potential pitfalls, but it's still the right move for me because I'm ready. And so we'll talk about what it looks like to be financially ready to buy a home as well in just a bit. But I like it. let's talk about renting for just a second because- the biggest misconception about renting is that it's for financial idiots. And and you you mentioned this line, I think, earlier, Matt. Renting is throwing money away. And everybody has heard that line, right? And and it just has sunk deep into our psyche now at this point that renting is, is ridiculous. And why would you do it for any longer than you have to? In my mind, when I see people saying that, who I picture are parents. I feel like I see a lot of parents <laughs> saying that to kids. Yeah. And I think, I wonder if it has less to do with like the financial side of things and more about them wanting to encourage their kids to like, grow up and yeah. get married have some have some kids so that I can join my grandkids like that whole yeah. thing just trying to move them along in life as opposed to them actually providing them with any sound financial advice yeah no that's a good point you know? and, and part of it probably has to do with their bias they're like I bought a home for $70,000 yeah. <laughs> 32 years ago and now look what it's worth sorry mom the market's a little different than it yeah. was well and then again you look at the numbers and they probably would have been better putting money in the market too but uh, they would have it's yep. just, it's just what, how they've rationalized it how they've thought about it but if you're young and you're just getting started in your career and there's a chance you might relocate for that career, renting is probably a slam dunk. Or you might just want to live somewhere else in the near future. Or and it doesn't even have to be another city. It could be another part of town yeah. where you live. And so why would you buy? Like, don't rent. Figure out wh- where exactly you want to live first. And even once you have, you might want to keep renting. I mean, w- one of the biggest perks of renting is that it gives you a ton of flexibility. And that is highly underrated. Also, Renting puts a roof over your head. And so it's not throwing money away because it's giving you a place to call home, even if it's not a place that you own. And like, plus for all the home improvement haters out there, Matt, they don't have to fix stuff that goes wrong, right? You got a landlord for that. And it certainly makes budgeting 
easier uh, mm-hmm. if, if you don't have all these other potentially intangible costs that we're going to cover in this episode if you don't have those to deal with. Those unforeseen expenses. All you've got is a number that you text. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you say, enter appliance is broken. Uh, and that's how you get things fixed. Uh, but the biggest win that renting has over buying is affordability. So we are going to make an argument here on the financial side of things. There's a report from Realtor.com and they find that you're going to save money by renting in 45 of the 50 biggest cities out there. So basically, that's like everywhere. <laughs> like there's a chance that if you are listening to this podcast, you live in one of these cities. I Most people which live. cities were the best to buy, but it was like Detroit and I don't even remember which, but there were very, very, very few. Let's be honest. Most, it, it's better to rent almost everywhere from a financial perspective. Exactly. Yeah. And fact is that's where the most populous areas are as well. Like the, the 45 of the 50 major cities is where a large, large percentage of the U.S. population lives. And on average, you're going to save $800 a month, which is insane. <laughs> that's almost $10,000 a year back in your pocket that you can do whatever you want with but hopefully you would take that money and you would uh, invest it. Uh, but it could actually be much more than that in many of the West Coast cities. Uh, according to Redfin, the median estimated monthly mortgage payment for home buyers in California, specifically in San Jose, is $11,000. My goodness. And you compare that with a median estimated monthly rent of 4000 <laughs> It's crazy. What a wild swing. Uh, and w- one final stat here. Nationwide, the typical home costs 25% more to buy than to rent. And this is without even considering maintenance costs that we're going to get to and uh, as we talk about some of the additional expenses associated with homeownership. Uh, but going back to the, the 45 biggest cities where you're, you're saving 800 bucks a month, were you to not actually spend that money and were you to take it and stick it in the market, you, if you were to invest the difference there, you would end up with over... Over $900,000. That's assuming a 7% rate of return, which is fairly conservative. Uh, And you would have that much money after 30 years. That's uh, nearly a million dollars, which it's just crazy to think that you could have that much just on this one expense. This isn't like your combined portfolio, like total portfolio. No, just on the the cost of housing. It kind of makes me so on Monday, we talked about a listener was asking about Indexed Universal Life, and we're talking about how, oh no, it's this fancy product, and yes, technically you might be able to grow your wealth by taking that money and sticking it in that product, but instead go for the cheaper alternative and just invest the difference. It almost makes you feel like you can't compare homes, sort of like you were saying earlier, you can't compare, it's, it's not apples to apples. Yeah. This is like apples to bananas or something. <laughs> um, but it kind of makes, when you look at it from that, in that perspective, it kind of makes you think, oh man, what am I actually giving up by purchasing a home as opposed to renting? Especially if you're talking about some of these more affordable cities where renting is drastically more affordable. Well, it makes me think about something else. If the numbers were to change on car leasing versus buying a car, that would change how we think about it. The reason we don't like leasing a car is because it's so darn expensive and because you have to give it back after two or three years, right? You've, 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 you have kind of flushed a, little, a lot of money down the toilet in order to do that. And so the wiser thing to do is to buy a car. But, but let's say the price of leases was magically cut in half. We wouldn't hate leasing anymore. And in fact, I would probably be the first one to line up and lease a car. So it, it's the, the so it's price. It's less about the term or it's less about the language and it's more about the numbers. Exactly. Like, like we would gladly issue a mea culpa and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we used to say that we hate leasing or, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to say that we hated Index universal life. Yeah. But if the numbers change, if, if, if something is different on the ground, then we're going to follow where the data leads us. Right. And so it, so much of it is a question of, of value and price. And so this is what makes renting 
potentially so much better for intentional money savvy folks though because you just mentioned matt almost a million dollars i mean given some of those numbers renters actually have a wealth building advantage which is not how any of us ever talk about it, not how you ever hear about it. No. It's just that they rarely use it. And so, you know, it depends on where you live, of course, but you could easily be saving $1,000 a month or more by renting instead of buying. But the key here is that if renters would funnel extra cash into investments that they'd otherwise put towards a more expensive mortgage, they'd actually build wealth more quickly than their friends, their peers, who buy a house instead. It's The problem here, though, the crux of the issue is a lack of discipline. That's the problem in this scenario. It's not that renting is dumb or that renters are at a disadvantage. It is that renters are saving a lot of money by renting in most of the country, but they're not funneling the money that they otherwise would have used to buy a house into the market. And so the fact is, we are going pretty hard in the direction of, hey, you should consider renting. Uh, <laughs> it should not be a default decision for you to purchase a home. And a part of that is because homeownership just costs you more than you think. We've already talked about basically the upfront costs, like the, your monthly payments. But specifically, homes are really expensive to maintain. I've heard that. So <laughs> I've experienced that. Yes. It's just there there's, there are just ongoing costs. I mean, like patching your roof, the, the cost of maybe some fresh paint. It's war getting warm these days. We've talked about getting your HVAC serviced. That's important as well. Uh, pest control. Uh, that's something that costs some money as well. Although that is, that's one of those that you could totally DIY that you can mm -hmm. do yourself. We actually have a, a great article up on the website that tells you exactly the, how you should spend your $20 <laughs> on these two items and how that will save you a ridiculous amount of money over the years. So that's one way that you could reduce that, that cost. Uh, but you're likely going to spend roughly uh, about 1% of the purchase price every year on home maintenance. That's, mm -hmm. the, uh, that's the, the general rule of thumb. Um, but then just not to mention the, the fact that you are spending your time there, there's this additional hassle factor with getting these things done, with scheduling the, the work being done there on your house. Or if you are looking to be a little more frugal, setting the time aside to actually doing that work yourself. Sure. Yeah, there's a big time cost. It's just a pain in the butt, though. To being a homeowner, <laughs> less so than being a renter. And, and sometimes there's an act of God. There's a tree that falls through your roof, and it just ruins your day <laughs> and, and potentially months of your life while you're trying to like work uh, with the insurance company and get that figured out. Do you want to give folks a little update as to where things are at the given moment with, so with your house? Construction is just about to begin. Okay. Which feels like it's taking a long time to, to do that. But uh, yeah, well, we it has been a long time. Yeah. But I mean, that's the... They've ripped out... Unfortunately, that's the insurance process. They've ripped out some of the things that were damaged and we've been living in it, but we're just about to move out. Construction is going to begin and hopefully it won't take more than a couple of months. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But yeah, th these are one. this is one of the things that comes along with home ownership. And granted, it'd be a pain if you're uh, a renter, but not nearly to the same extent. And I think... Like you'd still have to move if you're a renter. Yes. But you wouldn't... It's just like, okay, well, I got, I'm going to find another place as yeah. opposed to having to do the work associated with right. getting this, not just maintaining this property, but getting it back to where it was. I feel like if I were in your shoes, that would be the hardest part is is knowing that like you're not improving anything. You're not improving it. Exactly. You're getting back to zero. Like we added on the you know like little screen porch on, on our house, whatever. And it's kind of a pain in the butt to coordinate with a contractor. But there's sort of this prize at the end of the tunnel where you're like, oh, but it's going to be worth it. Yep. I cannot imagine the frustration that you're feeling when it comes to just 
getting back to baseline yeah and it's just a part-time job of it all like that's what that's what smokes me really as i i'm just contacting talking to so many people talking to contractors the adjuster all that kind of stuff and i'm just tired of it (laughs) i'm just like ready for it to be done so hopefully sooner rather than later i think one other thing though that that gets people matt you're talking about upgrades you're you added on the screen porch that is something else that people when they buy a home don't don't you make an example out of me (laughs) (laughs) they all of a sudden are like what about this what if i upgrade that nah you know i can make it i can improve this or that Uh and that is kind of part of the fun of homeownership, but it also adds to the cost. It makes me think of the Diderot effect, Matt. And uh, it's this... Oh, the classic French philosopher. Right. The 18th century (laughs) French philosopher. And he, someone gave him, or I guess he sold his library for like the modern equivalent of $50,000. And he lived in poverty before that. He bought this fancy new robe. It's more details than I've read in uh, in the past. Yeah. So I I did some some more research into it. And, but in light of this gorgeous new robe, like all of his other possessions just look dingy they look like crap Mm -hmm. and so i think that that can be the case for a lot of us when we when we buy a home it's like okay cool yeah it starts with a coat of paint but how far can well i'm replacing the floors now or you know what i need a new sofa in here because that that, that's what's gonna tie the whole room together or maybe a rug i don't know but these are the kind of these are the kind of things that happen to all of us as homeowners there are these subtle psychological pulls that cause us to consume and and maybe our finances start spiraling out of control because we are just coaxed into spending yeah. more than we would if we were if we'd remain renting. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and it's not necessarily too that like maybe you love all your stuff. Like maybe you move in and you're just like, my stuff looks great in here. I love my house. But then that's the problem. Like you kind of like when you, you spend a lot of money on a house. Uh, that's where your dollars flow to. It, it makes sense that someone would take maybe a little little bit more pride in their house compared to maybe where they're renting before, right? And so like once you start having a sense of pride, like you start thinking, oh, I want it to look even nicer. It's not necessarily that what you have currently, uh, like your previous possessions are relatively shabby. It's just that, oh, I want this house to be nicer, sure. right? And so like, you know, well, I'll use myself as an example again, but for us, like the landscaping at our house that we purchased last year, it was fine, but we really like to have an interesting outdoor area. So we started going down that direction. So maybe we felt, we felt prey to that, but maybe it's you moving into the, you know, a house and you're like, Oh, well you can't have laminate countertops. <laughs> that's just, no, like that's just that's not so gonna, 1970s. I, I've got to, you know, you got to take care of that or, yeah. Oh, the, the carpet over here is you can't a, we can't have carpet, but B, even if you did have carpet, that's dirty carpet. Right. Uh, there's no way we're not going to rent a steamer and actually clean it. No, no, no. Let's just rip it out and do hardwoods. Like you it's said, a double edged sort of home ownership because yes. I think some of it those improvements can be a blast and it's really exciting to get to kind of create your own space but the flip side of it is it, it costs can, you money it can be a money suck yeah. absolutely and on top of the fact that you're spending a lot more than you would have been if you had been renting something similar also it's it's also important to mention Matt that timing is crucial Timing matters. And every market across the country is different, of course. It's easier to buy a home in Mississippi than it is in Southern California, clearly. But market gyrations can change the value proposition meaningfully over time, too. And so uh, the housing market now... It's just quite a bit different. Uh, it looks a lot different than it did uh, a few years ago. It's always morphing and changing. And so that, that value proposition that I mentioned, like, oh, we would change our, our tune on leasing a car if leasing prices were cut in half. Well, the value proposition of buying versus renting is different from state to state and 
from market to market as the market evolves. So if homeownership is a massive goal for you, it's worth it's truly worth asking whether or not you'd be willing to move somewhere where the cost of housing isn't as expensive. We're all about putting down roots, staying in one place for a long time, if you love the place where you are, mm-hmm. but maybe moving elsewhere to a cheaper market makes sense for you if you're priced out where you're currently living, uh, or does perpetually renting make the most sense if you love where you live and just kind of not not putting off a dream of home ownership, but maybe just being like, hey, maybe that was the wrong dream to begin with. And maybe the real dream is, is something else. And it really is financial independence, which you're going to be able to get more easily by renting and investing a heck of a lot more. That's right. Yeah. So the, the housing market has changed in recent years. And we touched on mortgages earlier, more kind of from a principal standpoint as to the the power that it can have if the wind's at your back, but the the problems that you can face if that wind is blowing in your face. But the specific rates that folks are paying right now, like the mortgage rate environment, like that is also changing the dynamics of homeownership. Now, there was an article in the journal just last week about the diverging paths of folks who bought a home just a few years ago and then the folks who purchased uh, a home within the past six to nine months. We've previously said to avoid being a quote unquote payment buyer, uh, where you're only considering the monthly payments. Well, that, that doesn't mean that you should ignore the interest rate altogether because they influence the payment on a home purchase massively. Uh, any want to be home buyers out there, they know that interest rates aren't their friend right now, but those fluctuations, they can and they should. Uh, honestly, they should impact your overall price range uh, of homes that you can realistically afford. It should change the the filters or the parameters yeah. as you continue your home search if you are seeing rates go up. I think interest rates should determine the purchase of a whole lot of other things a whole lot less because, oh, what's the APR on your credit card? Guess what? For how to money listeners, it shouldn't happen. I don't care (laughs) because you should be paying it off on time and in full every month. It doesn't matter if the APR on my credit card is 82% because I've got that set up for auto pay and I'm paying the full statement balance. Same thing with a car. Like I'd rather you not take out a car loan. And so it doesn't matter if it's a thing in cash. Yeah. We talk about that. Don't really care about car loans. Sure. Interest rates on on cars used in new new car loans have gone up. But the goal is to not have a car payment at all, right? That's, but for for almost everybody listening, uh, not uh, being able to avoid a mortgage is an impossibility. Same with Matt and I. We've had a mortgage on every property Mm -hmm. and that's okay. It's just, uh, what are the terms of that mortgage, they massively influence more than any other product, like what you can afford, what you should be looking at. Totally. It's also important, Matt, to mention equity, which is a, it's a different beast than money that you've accumulated in the market. And so a home is an illiquid asset, which means it's more difficult and often expensive to tap your home equity or to yeah to come buy it in some way, form, or fashion. And so if you do opt to grab some of those wealth gains via a home equity line of credit or something like that, you start putting the asset keeps a roof over your head at risk, right? And so what do you do with the wealth you accumulate in a house? Our advice has always been mostly to leave it alone. You might, yes, take some to make some some small improvements to your house or something like that. That is typically the best use of home equity uh, is to make improvements when you want to over time. But the fact that your net worth has grown because your the equity in your home has grown really shouldn't change the way you live your day-to-day life. Although I feel like it can more <laughs> if you are investing in the market and those funds are just easier to access, especially if you're investing some of those some of that money in in like a, a brokerage account. 
Yeah. But Matt, it's not all doom and gloom. And we do, you and I own houses. We own multiple houses because we're landlords as well. Yeah. And so we're not uh, completely against home ownership. We just want people, like you said, to go in with eyes wide open. Let's talk about the benefits of home ownership and then maybe some of the prerequisites for uh, before you start looking to buy a home, What where we think you should be financially before you start that search. We'll get to that and more right after this. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach. Do. Every single summer, we've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, we are back, and Joel, you know, we have dunked on home buying quite a bit, uh, but the truth is we mostly like owning our own homes, uh, even with all the trade-offs, with all the downsides that we've mentioned, we don't rent. Uh-huh. <laughs> we own our homes. So, so people are like, why aren't they taking their own medicine? I know. What's the disconnect well, here? Well, it, it mostly has to do with the intangibles that you experience when you are a homeowner. And by the way, not to rub it in or anything like that, but we also bought most of our homes in a different environment where oh, yeah. the buy to rent ratio was significantly different. Absolutely. And so that changed. The, but I think now... I, I, I would we, I would certainly be thinking twice. Much more. Absolutely. I would, I would be looking at the rental market. But that being said, one of the reasons that we were 
like it wasn't just financial reasons though, right? Um, like it made sense from like a lifestyle standpoint. There are these intangibles. And when you own your own place, you've got a little more stability at home, right? Like you know that there isn't a landlord out there who might either drastically raise rent on you or even just kick you out because they've decided to sell the place because <laughs> home values have shot through the roof and it's time for them to cash out. So if you decide to stay in that home long term, you just know where you're going to be a decade or two from now. With When it, when it comes to renting, not so much. You, yeah. you might know where you're going to be for the next 10 months. Uh, but beyond that, who knows? Yeah, I do think that that is one of the, the biggest benefits, the putting down roots, the knowing where you're going to be, especially if that's where you want to be and you don't want to oh, yeah. leave. I know I, people who have been long-term tenants in certain places. I had a neighbor two doors down back when we lived in town, Matt, and his landlord sold the house. And he had been there for like 14 or 15 years. And he was devastated because he couldn't afford to buy it and, and he had to find somewhere else to live. Mm. But he had like buy-in. He had stake in that neighborhood. And I was so sad to see him go. I was like, I wish I had like an ADU in the backyard, man, that you could live in. But... It, that that is there are a lot of uh, renters who do want that sort of buy-in, but they they aren't guaranteed it right if they're renting and and not owning. And so I think another perk of home ownership is is customization abilities. We kind of talked about the downsides of that with like the Diderot effect and how how it can, it can be expensive. Sure, but it's also <laughs> one of the most joyous things about owning a home, right? Being, sure, being able to transform that space and and turning it into the place you want to live and 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 really like if you're renting. Yeah, you can ask your landlord about painting or putting up some wallpaper or something <laughs> like that, but they might say no. And even that is just kind of a basic adjustment. But yeah, you're certainly not going to be able to knock down walls or alter the layout or <laughs> modify the space. Well, and, and you wouldn't want to, right? Because you like you wouldn't want to spend that much money it, because you know that there's a chance I might only be here for a year right. or two. Like this, like you are entering into that housing arrangement with a temporary mindset, and when you do that you're not really willing to put forth the resources, whether it's time or money, in order to make it feel a little bit more like home. I, mm-hmm. I, honestly, I think that's one of the downsides of of renting. Um, and, and I don't want to put it in a negative light. So I'll say it's one of the upsides of owning your home is that it can, I think it can have a more positive impact on maybe the depth of relationships or the amount of community that you're able to, to build up around you. Because if you are, say, you're just renting a house and you're thinking, all right, I'm just, you know, I'll live here for maybe 12 months. Maybe I'll push that out to 18, maybe even 24 months. We'll see. I think when you enter into that mind, that mindset with a, a transient mindset, I don't think you're going to be as willing to build relationships, right? Like the people who live on your street, they're your neighbors. And you might not but even be doing it on purpose. It's sure. just like a subtle psychological yes, exactly, thing. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. But if you were to buy that home, the people who live on your street, they are potential friends. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, not only like friend, friends. Yeah. yeah. And like friends and resources and teachers. And it just, it feels there's, I don't know. It's like, I'm trying to be, approach it from like a wholesome <laughs> kind of, there is a change that happens. And like you said, it may not even be all that intentional. But when you know in the back of your mind that you may not be there for that long, well, why not spend your time and energy on something else that isn't tied geographically to a location, right? Like you would spend maybe some of your extra time and energy on your career, because guess what? If you were to up and move on, you take your career with you. It doesn't necessarily have to do with that particular house. Yeah, so I think that is a big plus in in favor of buying a house. You know where you're going to be. You know who your neighbors is going to be. I mean, yeah, some of them are going to move on too, but it's it looks a lot different for sure. Yeah, and you enter into it with a different mindset. And I 
I don't know. I think that's powerful. Yeah. But let's talk about some of the prerequisites, some of the things that we want people to consider and to think through before they kind of start perusing Zillow, find an agent and start trying to get pre-qualified. And so, yeah, even though we've spent the majority of this episode really kind of discussing the dirty truths of homeownership and much less time discussing the pros of it, those benefits can be so incredibly powerful that they can be enough to push you in the buying direction. So let's discuss what an aspiring homeowner needs to consider really before they start making offers, right? Uh, and, and, and the first, the number one part of the piece of this, Matt, is understanding how long you plan to own the home. That's got to be the top factor, right? Oh, yeah. and, and like five to seven years is a good rule of thumb. But given where home prices are right now, I'd want to extend, uh, maybe go to the longer side of that timeline, maybe more like seven or eight years. Because if you're buying a home in hopes that it's going to appreciate in the next two or three years, uh, like homes have over the past few years, you might think, oh, cool, I'm going to make out like a bandit. I'm going to buy this home. I can barely afford it. But if I can afford it for 24 months and then flip it, I'm going to be just fine. Well, the likelihood that you get burned goes up so much more if you're approaching a home purchase that's like right. that. And so time is your friend on, even if you overpay a little bit, that's okay. As long as you plan to stay in that home for a long enough period of time to make up for that the slight amount where you overpaid, right? Like the longer you can commit to owning that home, the better decision it's likely to be. Yeah. Well, and you said owning that home. I think there's a difference too between owning that home and living in that home because as long as you own it then it's like it's okay for you to not necessarily continue living in there and so what i'm hinting at here is converting that primary residence into an investment property mm -hmm. joel that was like your first investment property what happened to be the first house that you purchased as yeah. your primary residence. And my second rental property was my second house. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mine, we really liked our first home and then we ended up actually buying separate <laughs> investment properties. But that can be next one. So it's not about you necessarily living there. It's about you maintaining that ownership because the the transaction costs are so stinking high. And if you have an ability to amortize that, if you have an ability to stretch those expenses out over a, a longer period of time, all the while, hopefully, the while the value of that home is continuing to rise, you're going to end up in a stronger position from a from a financial standpoint. But also, let's talk about the down payment required, because three quarters of folks who want to buy a home, they haven't even saved a dime. That doesn't bode well. <laughs> if you can't save up uh, a meaningful down payment, then how are you going to be able to afford some of those other increased costs that we just talked about? Some of yeah. those unexpected costs. For folks who can't save a down payment, I realize it's difficult and it's a large sum of money, but that's what I always come back to is like, cool, if you can't do this, if you can't find the skin to get in the game, how are you going to be able to afford the increased costs every single month, every single year for years to come. Yeah, well, and we didn't even talk about some of like the more like phantom hidden costs of like a p potential HOA or the fact that most homes are probably, they, they tend to be a little bit larger than the little apartment that you're renting. So you're talking about increased utility costs. Mm -hmm. You're talking about taxes, the property taxes, because you're buying in an up and coming part of town. Right. <laughs> and guess what? The fact that you even bought that house guarantees, almost guarantees, I should say, that the estimated value of that home is more than what it was, uh, you know, with the, the tax records show previously. I've, I've talked to a lot of neighbors in nearby who own a home, and they're like, "Did you just get that tax bill?" Because this is like the season to get them. Oh yeah, and they were, <laughs> they, and they're looking at you, and they're like, "Dang you, Joel, for spending that much on the <laughs> right. house because it raises the value of all well, of the houses." And their faces were pale white. But yeah. all my renter friends <laughs> living in uh, complete happiness, and they're not even thinking about that stuff. And not that taxes don't influence the price of rentals; they do, but not to the same extent. There's still just this massive 
discrepancy right now in so much of the country between rental prices and what you would be shelling out every month to, mm-hmm. to buy a home. And I think a lot of people think, well, the landlord's going to going to be able to just uh, boost rent by the amount that the taxes go up. And they might try, but if it's not competitive in the market, they won't be able to. It's a, it's a slow boost. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a gradual, slow-moving freight train. Uh, but for all the aspiring homeowners out there, we would love to see you put down 20%, uh, which will often, like that's going to net you the best rates and terms while also whittling down those payments. Uh, but again, we understand that that can be an incredible sum of money. And so if you're a a first-time home buyer uh, will say that it is okay to put down less, but saving up a meaningful chunk is just a necessity. No matter what, we want yeah. to make sure that you've got skin in the game, while simultaneously under like we understand that it's not purely a financial decision that drives whether or not that you can buy a home. There are mm-hmm. other life reasons uh, to purchase a home. And we think that those can be just as important. It's not just about the numbers. It's about what it is that you want your life to look like. I wouldn't make an idiotic financial decision because of those life decisions. But those certainly weigh in and you might be willing to trade off some of those those financial things. (laughs) It might mean, hey, you're going out to eat less or something like that. That's a worthwhile trade off, right? To own a home if that's what you really want and if you found the right place to settle down. But it's also important to know that. And, and by the way, Matt, you mentioned the down payment. Yeah, you got to save that up. But at the same time, you have to keep that emergency fund on hand, even as you're buying that home, right? Yeah, yeah. You be, don't tap into that. Like, right. keep that margin on hand. Because, like we said, costs are likely to go up. You might want to do some things to the house. But what if you lost your job two months after buying that home? You want to make sure that you you haven't depleted your emergency mm-hmm. fund completely in an effort just to get your hands on that house, right? Yep. And so, yeah, it, it, plan for at least three months worth of living expenses, even after all the costs you're going to incur when you close uh, on that house that you're buying. Yeah, don't forget all like the prepaids, because uh, a lot of times we'll be like, oh yeah, the tax bill comes out in March and you're buying the summer, so we're actually going to prorate and there's going to be six months worth of taxes that you have to come to the table with. Uh-huh. And you're like, wait, what? That's, that's so much, that's thousands of dollars that you weren't necessarily expecting to pay. Those are the kind of expenses that kind of seem it seems like that they just kind of pop out of nowhere yep. that you have to that's pay. why you got like the, that stat about i think it was 77 percent of people not having saved a dime when they want to buy a home it's so sobering because i'm like you, there's all of these ancillary costs that come along with it and if you haven't even thought about the down payment if you haven't started day one put, putting money aside for it you're so far off from being ready to do that yep. and maybe it's just this pie in the sky hope uh, for people Hey, yeah, someday down the line, I'd like to, to own a home. But if you want that goal to become a reality, you got to start setting money aside for it right now. That's right. Yeah. The last thing that you want to do is just buy a house, move into a home that you were barely able to afford. And then you're hit with you know a bunch of unexpected expenses that just leave you incredibly financially vulnerable. Like you mentioned, getting laid off from a job or like, what if you get sick and you have a high deductible plan and you got to re- reach a $10,000, $11,000 deductible before yeah. the insurance kicks in, like that kind of thing. And you, you need to... You need to plan for it, and you yeah. need, need that margin needs to be there. And you can't plan fully for everything, of no. course, right? That's what some insurance products are there to help you with. Yeah. But it's also true that you can't. There's not really an insurance product for losing your job and not be able to pay your mortgage. Yeah, right? and, and at the very least, like in my mind, this is a non-negotiable having the emergency fund set aside because, like, when it comes to the down payment, it's not ideal, but it's okay for you to not necessarily have that twenty percent, even though that's one hundred percent ideal. Because if you aren't able to put down that full twenty percent, it means yeah, your mortgage rate it may not be the absolute most competitive rate, but it's going to be pretty dang close to what most lenders are offering for twenty percent down. And mm-hmm. you're going to have to pay a little bit extra for PMI, right? But like at the end of the day, we're talking about 
like a few percent, right? But let's say you get fired. Let's say uh, all of these unexpected expenses hit you all at the same time and you don't have the cash on hand to get by and you turn to credit cards, what's the interest rate on those bad boys? You're sure. talking like 20%. Mm -hmm. And so it, there, there's a drastic difference between saying, okay, it's not the most ideal thing to not put down 20%, but the, the difference between you know a few percent versus like 20% that you're paying when it comes to credit cards, that's a big old stinking spread. Yeah. And we wanna make sure that you are not entering into a situation that could leave you vulnerable to that 20%. Yeah, and the emergency fund is really there to insulate you from ever having to tap credit cards in a way yes. that is not just not ideal, but really crappy. Very right. harmful to your financial health. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and the other thing too, with like PMI, like that's something that you can, you know, after that, like you can come back to that and get that thing pulled off. So yeah. it can be a temporary expense. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. All right. So basically the whole goal of this episode is to challenge assumptions, right? And it makes me think, Matt, like which came first, the chicken or the egg? That is uh, a question that no one knows the answer to, right? But according to Pew Research, 96% of folks in the top 10% of net worth own their home instead of renting. But is it the home that makes you rich or do rich people tend to buy homes? Like, and, and I think the latter tends to be true to a certain degree. And we, A circle has no end, Joel. Right, yeah. <laughs> and so, I, I, I don't know, it, it, we've used that reality to create a, a different narrative, right? One that centers around the home purchase, making people rich, creating yeah, the wealth. Exactly. And depending on the specific location and purchasing climate, it has helped fuel the net worth of buyers, specifically who purchased two to 12 years ago. Those people have done incredibly well, but expecting that to continue to be the case, given the amount of upward movement we've seen in the housing market, for home ownership to be what pushes you towards financial independence is highly unlikely. And so it's it's not that it, it can't be a financial decision that makes sense for your family, just uh, think twice before you buy into the home ownership equals wealth building. That correlation I'd say is, is pretty suspect. Yeah, yeah, totally. And ultimately, I think it just takes a little bit of sacrifice, right? Like, are you willing to give up uh, some other things, including some of your financial freedom for that joy of homeownership? I think that is an important question for folks to ask, because again, we've owned multiple homes ourselves. You know, we've invested in real estate and given the right climate, given the proper financial planning, owning a home can be the perfect move for you. Uh, and there's a chance that the returns could be pretty significant as well. But I also wouldn't count on that, you know, that home being the smartest financial move that you've ever made. I sure hope forward. it's not. I sure hope it's not, by the way, because yeah. well, it, it, if, if it is the best financial move you've ever made, it means that you haven't invested inside of yeah. the retirement <laughs> accounts that we talk about as being the biggest wealth drivers. And so maybe it is. I think for a lot of people, it has been. That doesn't mean it's the best route, though. Totally. Yeah. And to a, to a certain extent, when, like when you buy a home, like you said, like you are putting down roots, like there is an amount of permanence, like there's a degree like you are anchoring yourself essentially and you just got to ask yourself if you're ready for that stage of life mm -hmm. if that's what you want the next seven plus years to look like but ultimately I think when, what we're pointing at here is that we, you shouldn't be buying a home or you shouldn't continue to rent purely based on financials there sure. are so many other more important factors in life to consider it shouldn't just be for fin for financial reasons though that is an important lens to look at the decision making process through but it shouldn't just be only financial reasons but life reasons as well whether Makes that's to move closer thing. to family or friends or make or whether it's schools or a pace of life if you can't rent there then okay yeah maybe buying there is a uh, something to consider yeah but makes me think of one more thing it's kind of like 
who's worse off when it comes to higher education? It's the folks who went to school for three years and took on the student loan debt, but didn't get the degree. Mm. The same thing is true for people who buy a house. The people who are absolutely in the worst position are the folks who are there for a year or two and sell. And so that yeah. timeline is massively important when you're making this decision Absolutely, as well. So, all right, Matt, let's get back to the beer that we had on this episode. This let's one's called- do it. It was a time to believe in anything. <laughs> it's an IPA. It kind of fits along with the, the theme of the episode a little bit. Yeah. Like, we do not want you to believe anything when it comes to housing. Yeah. And, yeah. and we hope you folks who want to buy a home, want to own a home at some point, achieve that. But we hope you achieve it under the right circumstances. But Matt, what were your thoughts on this beer? My, my tasting notes are going to be similar to some of the other burials that, we, that we've had with a few additions. It's certainly sharp. Again, the amount of hops that they must put in their IPAs is just off the charts. But in particular, this IPA, is this a double or a single? I don't single. know. It's a single. Regardless, it had this brightness to it that I felt that I feel like the other two didn't. And I feel like you can see it in the color a little bit too. Like it seemed like maybe it was a I don't know, maybe it was a touch more vibrant, but on the, in the mouth, it had just a, like a lightness and a brightness to it where it felt like it was alive. This reminds me of some of those early fresh hot beers that we had. I don't know. I feel like fresh hot beers were real big. Like I was totally thinking fresh hot beers. Six, seven years yeah. ago. And we got a few that were, I thought what, this was more laid, more laid back than some of the other uh, burial beers. And, and, and even still it's intense from an IPA perspective, but it's less intense than, than the other burial IPAs we've had. And yeah, yeah fresh hot vibes for sure. Like I'm tasting the green like, on the vine almost. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's like tingly. Yeah. Uh, like it almost, it's like uh, for any of the Chinese, like Szechuan, uh, fans out there oh, yeah. and, and you kind of got that tingle on the tongue like this one kind of has that going on it it certainly has some of those higher notes like on the scale as opposed to like those lower deeper earthy notes that you yeah. get with uh, some of Burial's IPAs but, uh, but definitely really enjoyed it though yeah this was a good one alright but that'll be it for this episode uh, you can find show notes links to some of the stuff we mentioned including I don't think we mentioned this but there's a, a New York Times has this great rent to buy calculator that we'll link oh, yeah. to up there and we it, should totally do that you can uh, there's there's just so much you can play around with there. A lot of sliders. Yes. Makes it a lot of fun to play with. And you can basically mm-hmm. say, this is the purchase price I'm looking at, blah, blah, blah. And they'll say, well, if you can find a rental in this price range, then renting makes more sense. Or here's what tips the scales and when you might want to buy. I think that's a helpful tool to play with if you're in the market. Absolutely. What, one of the things you can play with too is you can change the scale as to how long it is that you'll stay in that property. Yeah. And you can physically see how it's like, how big well, of an impact instead of buying that home, now what that means is that you could, you could afford renting a place for that, that cost you this much stinking money and it would it's going to blow your mind. It's amazing. Because it puts the closing costs, the transaction costs into perspective. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. It can be incredibly enlightening. But otherwise, that's going to be it for this episode. For all the listeners out there who have not left us a review yet, we would greatly appreciate some kind words over there. It helps us to get the word out, helps other folks to find how to money and to better their financial standing. But Joel, that's going to be it for this episode. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, 
Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.